0: Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Hahn. I'm a partner with Two Miles Accountancy Firm. We do tax advisory, consulting, um, financial work, um, provide these services. But um, today, I'm going to speak on pride and humility in leadership, particularly as it relates to our businesses. And I'd like to speak to business owners, CEOs, and those of you who are in leadership positions in business, and how we ought to view our roles in light of Christ. But before we begin, I'd like to pray and uh, lift up this time to the Lord. God, we come before you asking Jesus to be with us today. Every word may be your word, and may the Holy Spirit have its way, and the words may come from from the throne room um, to this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a pH scale on how you measure acid and um, alkaline chemicals in liquid, like in water, even soil, even in our stomachs, right? If pH level is about one to three, it is considered very acidic. It's like lemon, strong concentrated lemon. So solutions of pH balance about one are strong enough to burn through like fabric. All right, injure ourselves, but pH levels 4 to 7 are like alkaline, like even just plain water, tap water. The pH balance of, the, of a stomach may go as low as 1, it's very acidic because it breaks down food um, and secretes hydrochloric acid. But well, why am I talking about pH balances today? What pH today I'm going to talk about is pride and humility. How do we do, deal with these as we are leaders in our positions, in our businesses, or ministries? As CEOs and those of us who are in leadership positions, how do we deal with this? What does the Bible say? What does God say about battling pride and clothing ourselves in humility? So what is pride? Pride is... Definition, general definition, is a mindset of focus on self, uh, pursuit of self-recognition, self-exaltation, and desire to control all things for self. So, ourselves are at the center of pride. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, "It is Pride is the worst malformation of the monstrous things in all creation. <laughs> It is altogether the very reverse of the creature which God has created, and which is pure and holy, but pride is born of hell. So pride, in a way, is attributing or demanding ourselves to be honored rather than God. It's taking its place. That's a strong statement. It's a strong view, and we'll talk more about that. In the Old Testament, Words used for pride are synonyms for, like, lifting oneself, highness, magnifying self, presumptuousness, and even, says, rebellion. In Proverbs 16, 5, it says, everyone who is arrogant, which is similar to pride, are an abomination to the Lord. It's, It's, in a way, in a human sense, it turns God's stomach. Jeremiah 50, 31 says, Behold, I'm against you, O proud one. The Lord God says, said, your day will come, and time will come where I punish you." So there are some strong words in the Old Testament of God's view of who, those who are arrogant, prideful. It says, "I'm against you." So I want to talk about three, um, three aspects of pride. What pride may be? I mean, there are many things, but I'll t- talk about pride. Three things that pride is. One. It is, like I said, rebellion. Isaiah 14, 13 says, The motivation behind Satan's rebellion, the third of the angels who fell, is pride. Right? He, said, I will ascend, he said, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars and of God. So pride is rebellion when you think of yourself higher than God, which is um, unfathomable in a way, but it is, it is the case. In the New Testament, pride conveys the idea of blindness. They don't know their position. We don't know their position. It suggests the idea of someone being in a room, smoke-filled room where you can't see very far from you. And through the scriptures, we see proud people being portrayed of high view of themselves, and they're blind. Another thing, just practical thing. Have you ever encountered a prideful person whom you deem to be a prideful person? Who likes a prideful person? If you believe that someone has pride and you're in relationship with them or you're in some type of association with them, nobody likes that. Nobody that I know have ever said, oh, I really like that guy because he's really prideful. Nobody says that. Okay? Pride wins no glory. It gains no friends. But... We do that. We rebel against God when we have, when we're filled with pride. It is self-glory rather than God's glory. Because okay? he lives for his own rather than God's glory. So where is the object of praise? That's the question here in terms of rebellion. Then second, pride is, in a way, self-idolatry. So it's like almost like on a practical level, you know. There's like life-size posters of athletes, like Michael Jordans or, um, you know, famous athletes, right? It's like making a, a life-size poster of yourself or even a statue of yourself, and you bowing to it, right? It's not how great art, great art thou, Lord, but how great am I, right? It's idolizing oneself. You, our views our mindset, our opinions. But the reality of pride is, in essence, it's idolatry because it challenges the true existence of God. Because when we're prideful, when we idolize ourselves, we say there is no God. Psalm 10.4 says, the wicked in haughtiness in his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. As much as we hate to admit it, we have have pride, right? We have pride that is in us. You know, I recently went through a bout with COVID. Thank God I was fine. Now I have COVID. I'm endowed with COVID. It's in me, right? I'm not contagious, but it's in me. Same thing, but pride is in every man. We carry it with us. It's not the question of whether it exists in us. It's a question of how big it is, how active it is. Right? You know, in Exodus 4, and even in Ephesians 6, as for the church, the metaphor for uh, the nation of Israel and the church is the marriage uh, to being a bride of Christ. Marriage to Christ. When we, uh, the pride consumes us and exudes out of us, that marriage is broken. And I'll speak more about that a little bit later. Because we're putting someone else or something else in place of Christ. And you know what those things, whatever that is in place of God or Christ, their idols will ultimately disappoint us. The Israelites, after leaving Egypt, built statues, golden calf, images instead of God, and they worshiped them. Today, people don't usually erect statues of animals and things and we worship. That's not the case anymore. People don't do that. But we do that in our hearts it's less physical but it's much more spiritual because life is very complicated right so you got to think about idols is anything that's important than God right it could be greed it could be your careers for women it could be beauty achievements and success they're all counterfeits they're all counterfeit gods that want to take place, and that's what the enemy does. It shows counterfeits and tries to make it attractive to you so that you will bow before it and make idol of them. And when that happens, it replaces God. Examine Genesis 22, when Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him, as God told him. So, in a way, God was saying, who is your true God, or who is your true idol? Who was going to be the substitute? Abraham, is Isaac my substitute, or is Jesus going to be your substitute? But Abraham is a great example. He took on what 1 Peter 3 said, for Christ died for all sins once and for all. Abraham didn't have a view of Christ. But he knew who God was. And he trusted in God and his commands. And God gave him the ultimate substitute. Right? My urge, my brothers and sisters, is that don't take the substitute of this world. Take the sub- true substitute, only one true substitute that God gave us, which is Jesus Christ. So my next point, my third point Pride is spiritual harlotry, something else becoming in front of God, especially in business, especially in leadership, in our roles. You know, when God created man, he gave us a deep desire to boast in something great. We were to boast and have relationship, robust relationship with the creator. But what caused that to be broken? Eve, in her mind, when she started with Adam, thought, by taking this fruit, I could be like God. That became the breaking point. It was a destructive thing that entered the world. And it could enter us in our roles, in our businesses, anytime. We see even Christian leaders fall. Where does that begin? Where's the seed? It's usually the seed of pride. They become powerful. But look at the example of our Savior. What do they describe? How do they describe Jesus? Jesus was meek. Meek means power under control. Right? He could have, when he was on the cross, he could have rained down legions of angels, but he didn't. Did he have the power? Absolutely. Did he not? No. To get in humility, he died a horrifying death to accomplish his missions. We all have missions on this earth. Through our businesses, wherever, our families, our callings, we have our mission. Are we focused on mission? And usually our mission, one of the key ingredients to carrying out our missions is humility. The birth of pride often starts from position of power or of prominence. We are selling ourselves out when pride takes over. When we sell ourselves out, taking, being satisfied not in God and something else. So like in our marriage, we need to be satisfied with our wives or our spouse or husbands. But we look to something else. That's spiritual prostitution. That's spiritual harlotry. We are becoming satisfied more in the created things rather than the creator himself. Right? I, I believe all Christian business leaders are anointed by God. They're in their position, in their unique businesses, unique marketplace, and God had pointed you all there. For a reason. To lead those specific people in those markets in specific products and services. And God has anointed you. One way to put that anointing on hold is pride. When we sell ourselves out for the marketplace, for the people that we work with, or the businesses we have, we sell ourselves out for those things rather than the giver and the creator of those things so it's the um, in the news these days in congress they're talking about filibuster pride is the greatest spiritual filibuster it stops God's progress so what are some symptoms of pride I think I'll go through this real quickly one is personal agenda. You have personal agendas, personal things that you want to accomplish in your roles and your businesses. Rather than seeking and communing with God, what does God want you to do? Is it your company? Is it our company? Or is it God's company? That's the ultimate question. right? One of the sentences? when God tells us to wait, sometimes God doesn't, when we pray, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I pray for something, the answer doesn't come right away. Sometimes it doesn't come for years. Sometimes I don't know what's happening. But one thing I know, what the Bible teaches me, is that sometimes God will help me. They'll tell me to wait. And it's not clear. But if I'm not clear, I need to be patient in the Lord. Right? Do we like it when we... Sometimes He says no, or to wait... That's a sign of, potentially, personal agenda. It's a lack of reverence for what God is doing and his timing. Our timing becomes more important. Another thing, another point, another symptom of of pride is recognition. Humble person understands grace, but proud person understands more of what he has accomplished. Achievements, maybe abilities. Okay. And one of the outworkings of that is when we look at our people, employees, people in our companies, or others that we're associated with, we often judge people by the lenses of our own strength. So I am good at, or I'm in the world of finance. I deal with numbers. I don't know if I'm good at it, but I do it. <laughs> but when I do it, if I see the world on ability, people's ability to handle their finances, I become very judgmental. Instead, we should approach these things with people's weaknesses, because I have weaknesses, with grace, because we all have them. God has created us uniquely different, and we have to understand that. That's God's grace. When we seek recognition, we're not seeking grace we're becoming judgmental. 1 Peter 5 says, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in the proper time. When we don't seek our own recognition, when we wait on the Lord, God will exalt us. And sometimes the difficult thing is we have to be careful when we're successful because the size of temptation sometimes is equal or greater to the size of your success because you have more responsibilities. This is one of the symptoms of the Pharisees. In John 12, Jesus said, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. This is what we have to remember. Do we... Are we, tr- what we are doing, are we pleasing God or are we pleasing men? Whatever God allows us to accomplish, whatever God allows us to do and utilizing whatever abilities that he has given us, let us be grateful to God. And even in the good times, we are thankful. In the difficult times, we're thankful because God granted it all. In even difficult times, God will carry us living out humility. So to battle this um, pride in us, I'd like to look at two things. In leadership positions, I think we need to think of ourselves as stewards and shepherds. Let's talk about stewardship. You know, I have four children. In a way, I don't have four children. They all belong to God. In my short time on this earth, in their time with me, I have... Stewardship over them to lead them, hopefully, to the Lord and be an example to them. Thank God they're all professing Christians, but they're not mine. They're God's children. It's similar to our businesses in the areas of leadership for us. right? Because Jesus owns it all, right? He just entrusts servants to take care of things. He chose us to execute his will on this earth. Ministries, families, businesses, or churches are not ours. They all belong to Jesus. He's the owner. So we're just mere managers. We're stewards. So the only thing that we're trying to do is to please the Lord. He's the one who we report to. right? God sovereignly designs these. It's amazing to me why God chooses sinners like me, sinners like us, to do His will on this earth. He could have done it better, but He chooses to use His creation. And we're immensely thankful for that. Immensely thankful for that. And whatever He gives us as stewards, whatever resources, whatever gifts that He gives us, our job is to maximize those because at the end, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we almost appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things he has done in his body, according to the, what he has done. So at the end, at the judgment seat, God will judge us on how we manage his gifting, his resources, and whatever he has entrusted to us. Because a genuine believer will bear fruit. All good tree, a fruit tree, will bear good fruit. So we want to be that good, healthy tree that is now understanding that we're just mere stewards and all power, ability comes from God. Second principle is servant leadership. Servant leadership. In Matthew 26, says, It is not so among you that whoever wishes to become great among you shall be a servant. Leadership, spiritual leadership, is servant leadership. Servant leadership in your positions, in your companies, in your businesses, you're willing to do whatever it takes. If God wants you to clean the toilet, take out the trash, that's what we do. There's nothing in our roles that we should think that is below us. Remember, Jesus, night before his death, washed the feet of the disciples. Can you imagine how nasty these people were walking around in the Middle East in sandals? Jesus put a towel around his waist and washed the feet of mortal men. From the throne room to just washing the feet of men. That's servant leadership. It's a hallmark of a humble leader, one's willingness to put on a spiritual apron and do what God asks us to do. Sometimes this is why leadership is difficult. We have to forego ourselves, it costs us. Sometimes it hurts us inside because we're sinners, we fight it, we tell ourselves, I don't have to do this. Yeah, you don't have to do this. We don't have to do this. But we want to do this because what God, Jesus has done and he has done even more. He was tortured, nailed to the cross by sinful men, and he did it willingly for us. This is why Romans 12:3 says, "For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, That you not think of yourself more highly of yourself. Because the grace has to overcome that. And God will give us grace to be humble before him. So every job of a leader, give all credit to the Lord. Paul questioned that we could boast in whatever we want, but we boast in the Lord instead. In Philippians 2, 3, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility value others higher than ourselves. Think of others highly, but ultimately give all credit to the Lord. But lastly, trust in Jesus, His completed work. His grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 3:5, Not that we are sufficient for ourselves to think of anything being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. We can do this. We could do this because His grace in your positions is sufficient for us. We are sufficient in our roles because Jesus gave us the grace to do so. Our strength, and Paul understood that in his ministry, lies in the Holy Spirit empowering us. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. My fellow Christian CEOs, my fellow Christian leaders, I urge you, Let's humble ourselves, give all glory to God, give all credit to God and ask him to make us servant and stewards in our leadership roles, in our businesses, that we impact people's lives by our humility, not by our achievements, that we would be able to, through that humility, display the beauty and wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ in our businesses that it would become a ministry whereby the preeminence of Jesus Christ is established, set, and it would flourish in your organizations. Let me pray for you all. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your loving sacrifice. Thank you for loving us. And I pray for all the CEOs who are watching, all business leaders who are watching, that... You would grant them grace to cling on to you, giving you all the credit, and that you would help them by the power of the Holy Spirit to make their actions, their decisions, their relationships lovely, and that you would make Jesus lovely in the people's eyes. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.